Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway. Chad Withrow, Jonathan Hutton with you. Big weekend coming up of all things football. Chad, how are we doing? Doing well, Hutton. You did that thing where your voice sounded fine. Right before we went on air, yeah. and the moment you go on air, it starts to go out because oftentimes we don't know it, but the moment we project differently <laughs> yeah, with a microphone, then the voice comes out. It happens to me a lot. So this will be a fun show. I feel, I'm looking forward to this. I feel fine. I don't looking sound great today, it. at least in my head I don't. Um, college football playoff rankings we're going to get to. We've got uh, all the Thursday NFL games for Thanksgiving Day. We will preview those three matchups. Plus, rivalry matchups tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday in college football. Eddie George will be here in studio with us. Armando Salguero will be on the show a bit later. That's an hour number two with the latest NFL news and notes. And Bobby Carpenter joins us in 20 minutes. We will talk Ohio State, Michigan, and much more. Chad, it didn't happen. I thought USC was going to jump LSU in the college football playoff rankings last night. Because I thought the committee would view USC as a potential team that wins out Pac-12 champ there in the, 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 the four-team playoff. Now they have to make up, basically they make up a rule. Um, and they, they do lean towards conference champs. But as we take a look at the top six, LSU is at number five. And I thought this was a great spot to put USC at five because we know Ohio State or Michigan will lose. And by USC winning out... They'd be in. And now they have to jump LSU. The committee's telling us LSU is in if they beat Georgia. Yeah, and I, I don't know that I like that. Um, I, I understand the gripes from non-SEC people about USC with this. I saw Joel Klatt of Fox Sports says it, it's a failed experiment with this selection committee because now they've shown bias. Uh, they've shown what people fear with them with this. And because LSU's ahead of USC... Not that it's going to bear out that way. Uh, it, it was an odd <clears throat> night. You know, to have L- – I'm with you. It seemed very, very simple, cut and dry to me. If you're even just looking for – they're not supposed to be rooting for something with the college football playoff committee, but people are human, and everybody's rooting for something. I feel like ESPN, the network, and college football would love to have a cross-sectional, true national tournament yeah. with representatives from – Four different conferences representing four very different geographic parts of the country. You have the chance for that with Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan winner out of the Big Ten, TCU, and USC if they go on to win the Pac-12. But then you get this curveball with LSU at number five. LSU, by the way, who has the same record as Tennessee and lost at home to Tennessee 40-13 to and is five spots higher than Tennessee. I get it. Tennessee lost to a very average South Carolina team by 25. But Tennessee also beat LSU by 27 
at LSU. So both those things well, are happening. It's not even about true. to me. It's not about Tennessee anymore. It's it's now about USC. And I prior to the loss to South Carolina, I could tell you that Tennessee was a better football team than LSU and USC. Right? Um, Alabama, Clemson, and we'll get to Clemson in a moment too. They have no shot if they win the ACC unless craziness happens on championship weekend and details on that in a moment. But Chad, this is, I I can't say the same thing about, I cannot tell you LSU is a better team than USC. I could do that with Tennessee, right? That's how I would say I could put two SEC teams in, even from the same division, based on results of the SEC championship game. What they've done though is if, if we do see USC jump LSU, and again, it, it will come down to championship weekend here because if they lose this coming weekend, it doesn't matter. But it's gonna be, it would be very difficult for me, a Pac-12 champ, even with LSU beating Georgia. I get it. Best win of the season. But two losses compared to a one-loss conference champ. To me, and, and knowing where we saw them head-to-head with other teams in the SEC, like Tennessee, that will... That's not in the back of my mind. That's at the front of the conversation for me here. And they're, they're telling us if LSU beats Georgia and, of course, wins this weekend, they're in. They're getting in, and so will Georgia. In a, in a weird way, Georgia should want to lose in the SEC championship to help the SEC. That's not the case, but that's what Greg Sankey wants. Yeah. That's what the SEC wants. They have set this up where there's no way Georgia's going to drop out with one loss if they lose that SEC championship. And it has given the keys to the castle to break the system again and guarantee that two SEC teams are in if LSU goes on to beat Georgia. The rest of college football is praying that scenario does not happen and LSU loses and they lose their third game of the season. Then we only see one SEC team. But if you believe in that, I present to you Alabama now that has an outside chance of sneaking their way back into the playoff, possibly, if uh, if enough things break the right way for the Tide. So, I, I I did not like what the committee did last night with this. USC belongs ahead of LSU. It, it, I thought it was a very clear cut one through five. They got the first four right, and I thought USC at five. Putting LSU in at five cast doubt about what the committee's looking for. I, I just don't like the two loss LSU ahead of USC and USC on a championship track. Now, as long as things bear out the way we expect them to right now, USC is going to be fine, and LSU will lose to Georgia. But we've seen the last few weeks, there's few times where things break out exactly the way we're expecting. So there's going to be some more wackiness. And, And Ohio State, like if they lose tomorrow, or if they lose Saturday, excuse me, I think they fall to four. I still think they're in. I don't think they'll fall out of the top five or top four. It, I think it all depends on the style of game. There's no way they could put Ohio State behind LSU. I mean, I didn't think there was any way they'd put LSU ahead of USC, and they did. That they can find a reason to do anything that they really want to do. I mean, if you want to say, okay, Ohio State, how does Ohio State drop out of the top four? They lose by three plus touchdowns to Michigan, and then the committee argues. Yeah, you know, Ohio State was shaky on the road throughout the season, and then they got blown out by Michigan. And LSU got blown out by Tennessee at home. I mean, it's the same argument. Hey, I'm I'm with you. I don't think LSU should be there. I'm telling you, that makes no damn sense. 
So let me give you another thing that makes no sense that the committee could argue. We've seen them make nonsensical arguments well, before. But what it would be, it, it, I don't think they would drop Ohio State out. They value the SEC and they value the Big Ten. The Pac-12, they ate their own here. We're going to see how much they value the Big Ten. The Big Ten has the, is the only conference with two unbeatens right now. That's why they're well, in there. They, they, value, they value the Big Ten because Ohio State and Michigan have played practically no one. And they've been two and three in the country in their rankings, regardless of how difficult another conference's schedule might be. That's where I say they value the Big Ten. They value the SEC far, far greater through their one through 15 and what we've seen over the course of, what, the last four weeks. They value the Big Ten ahead of the, the Big 12 because the comparison yes, point yes. is there's an unbeaten Big 12 team and the two unbeaten Big Ten teams are two and three while the unbeaten so, Big 12 is four. Do you, as we sit here today, do you think T- TCU will lose one game? No. I don't either. They've... I, they've always proven me they, wrong this they, year. They step up to the plate every time. They're going to they're gonna go unbeaten. And, I mean, consider if, if Ohio State loses a tight game to Michigan, they're at four next week, and we go into the championship weekend where Michigan's in the Big Ten championship again, and TCU playing for a championship. We presume both of those teams win. I think you've got your four right here. Just ordered different. It's odd. I was reading something today about comparing Michigan and Ohio State's resume so far. In Michigan, in a weird way, with a worse with a worse schedule because they didn't have the big non conference game, right? Where Ohio State had the one big non conference game against Notre Dame, but they've handled business better than Ohio State. It's been very cut and dry. They run all over people. They play really good defense, and they've won kind of the same way against almost everyone except Illinois on Saturday where they lost Blake Corum uh, and they lost another good player and they nearly lost to Illinois. Outside of that, they've won pretty easily all year. Ohio State went down to the wire, score didn't quite show it, but went down to the wire at Penn State, was going down to the wire against Maryland, had that really weird performance in bad weather against 1-10 Northwestern earlier in the year. So they've shown a little bit more shakiness than Michigan. But... They're both undefeated, and the committee has them at number two and Michigan at number three. And there's, you know, they're both banged up. Like, which, which team has the healthier stable of running backs on Saturday? And Michigan up front mauled them last year in the upset win at the time. Everyone was picking Ohio State to win. Didn't happen. Michigan was the more physical team. Eddie George will point this out when he's in with us uh, in about two hours. And he'll, he'll go in detail of where Michigan really won at the point of attack and what cannot the game against Northwestern is a good example. Um, Eddie, you know, Eddie will point to, man, you, it's fourth and one against Northwestern. You got to win that battle up front in the weather on the line. And they weren't doing that. So that's why Michigan can win this game. And defensively, Ohio State has not faced a defense like this. And then you could also say Michigan, whose defense is second to only Georgia this year in terms of the categories of how we would rate them. Ohio State hasn't done that and Michigan hasn't faced an offense like Ohio State so it's a fascinating matchup yeah and we're gonna have this covered today we've got Eddie George we got Bobby Carpenter coming up also who's played in this rivalry uh where we'll talk about this one one thing I do want to bring up though in in regards the committee and what they're looking at no committee whether it be NCAA basketball tournament selection committee college football playoff committee none of them should evaluate injuries in terms of the ranking here's what I mean by that 
there's enough to watch. Yes. There's common opponents. There's strength of conference. There's strength of schedule. There's everything else. But when the committee even states in their mission that they factor in injuries, and I'm talking about Hendon Hooker going down with Tennessee and then making the argument, well, they're 10 and uh, Oregon's 9, but Tennessee's there because we had to factor in the injury at the end of the game of the quarterback. Just don't do that. Just, just go by what you see. If someone goes down for any team now, not just Tennessee, if someone goes down and they come out the next week and they're not good, then that factors in. Just see what they've done on the field. This is not some sort of projection that, well, now they're, they've lost their star quarterback, so I'm going to dock them a spot or two in the ranking. No, let the play on the field dictate that. Tennessee docked themselves in the rankings by going out and losing badly to South Carolina. That's enough. Let's not say that we're factoring in an injury at the end of the game that didn't really affect the outcome of that game. If they go out and lose to Vanderbilt and Joe Milton throws four pick sixes, then allow that to affect your ranking because you're watching the games at that point and you're seeing outcomes. So let's take out anything with this. I always go back to the example. I think it was 1998. Kenyon Martin at Cincinnati got hurt in his conference tournament or late in the year. And Cincinnati was projected to be a number one seed, and they got docked two or three seed lines because Kenyon Martin was out. And I remember then, I'm in high school, and I'm thinking, how in the hell can you do that? They lost their star player. They haven't played a lot without him yet. They've done all this throughout the year, and now you're going to say because they're without the star player, I don't believe they're worthy of a one seed. That's BS. Yeah. They're worthy of you're worthy of whatever you've done. Yeah, the, yeah, the body and if of they work. go out and lose to a 16 seed, so be it. Right, because their star players out, or or don't lose because the schedule's easier on their path to a Sweet 16. Or whatever. I, I've just Again. never. I, I just think there's enough to watch to where that should never be included in any criteria of looking at a team. Well, what about the injuries? You know, who talks about injuries, fans. When you're playing with a backup quarterback and you lose to a rival, you go back and say, well, you know, if our starting quarterback was in, or if we had our, our starting linebacker or our two safeties weren't injured, we would have won the game. No committee should be looking at that. You just look at what the team has done on the field throughout the season, period. That's enough to watch. Even average coaches, below average coaches, really, will get raises this time of year within the next month. Uh, Leipold's not one of those average coaches. He's very good in what he's done this year, Chad. Uh, with Kansas is, I won't say incredible, but props. You know, they brought some life back to the football program. He signs an extension, he's staying. He is uh, not the next Nebraska head coach. Again, two days in a row, I'm surprised. Well, it's really got, got me wondering, where is this going to go? Where is this going to fall to at this point for Nebraska? If it's not Luke Fickle, remember Cole Kublik came on the yep. show and alluded to Luke Fickle being a possibility at Nebraska, I think that'd be a home run. Not that there's not other good coaches out there that could do a good job in Nebraska if they decided to hire them. Um, if it goes below Matt Rule, if it goes below Lance Leipold, I don't think Chris Kleiman is going to be an option at Kansas State based on his relationship with the AD there in that program. That'd be another really good pool, I think, for Nebraska at this point if they hired K-State's coach. I'm not quite sure where it goes. I was talking to my brother-in-law about this before the contract extension for Leipold, and he said most of the fans would have rioted had they hired Leipold. And I said, why? Hmm. And they said, because he's Kansas's coach. And my response was, well, Kansas is going bowling, something you haven't done in five years. And look at his at record, his track record. Kansas was 5-0 and before he lost his starting quarterback. 
And they're bowl eligible right now. Game day was there. I mean, come on. I would have been thrilled with Lance Leipold if I was Nebraska. I think that tune changes a bit. You know, when he signs a contract, it's like, oh, maybe, maybe we could have had him and he would have done a good job. But I don't know where that's going next. I'll throw out this possibility. And this is something we can debate later. And maybe I'll throw this out to Bobby Carpenter, too. What about Hugh Freeze at Nebraska? We only talk about Hugh Freeze in relation to the SEC because he wanted Ole Miss, and he's kind of in the South now in, in Virginia at Liberty, right? But do we think Hugh Freeze is a good enough offensive coach and football coach where he's wanted Ole Miss, he's won big at Liberty, they just beat Arkansas this year, um, something Ole Miss could not do with Lane Kiffin this year. Why would Hugh Freeze not work at Nebraska? The number one response I got was, because it's very conservative Midwest. And I thought to myself, he's at the biggest Christian school in America right now. Now, granted, with some of the scandals, was, the leadership at Liberty, it may be a little bit more loosey-goosey than we thought. He was there at But Ole Miss still, I, I mean, don't think people would care. Not, no. He's, because, there's look, there's a lot about Scott Frost that suddenly people start whispering about the moment he's no longer well, the coach. Everyone's so, looking for an excuse not to like the guy. Yeah, I the, the hire, not not individually freeze. I'm saying just the new hire. I'm saying if I were a Nebraska fan, um, I, I would be totally okay with Hugh Freeze. Every program is what I'm saying. I would be totally fine hiring Hugh Freeze. They're their Lincoln Riley, and they're you know, and realistically, not every coach is going to bolt for your program. That's that's the the mindset. It's got to be the top coach in America or one of the top ten, or that's not good enough. Well, here's the other one that I've, I've circled from the beginning that would have been on my list of three or four of likely candidates at Nebraska, Bill O'Brien. That makes sense, too. Bill O'Brien won at Penn State. Bill O'Brien won in the NFL, regardless of what Texans fans think State about. Where, when he got his hand in personnel, things yeah. went south. But he won four out of five years, won the division, something John McClain brings up all the time. He's rehabbed with Saban. He's gone through the Saban rehab process, worked out for Sark, worked out for Lane Kiffin. Has worked out for others. They would love to give him a parachute out of Tuscaloosa. I think Bill O'Brien would make a lot of sense. And I think it's a Nebraska program that just needs structure and identity. And I know that Bill O'Brien would bring the structure to the Nebraska program. Something to keep in mind. College football discussion coming up. We'll get into the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday games and much more. Bobby Carpenter with us next on Now Kick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. We are back, and we are with Bobby Carpenter, SiriusXM, OutKick contributor, and more. Six and Peabody, our location, and Bobby is at a location that looks warm. Um, he's a, I don't know how warm it is, but, I mean, leave it's it like to the— It's like 42 degrees. That's warm for yeah, Bobby. Yeah, the Ohio State linebacker uh, currently in a T-shirt sitting outside. Bobby, happy Thanksgiving to you, man. Appreciate you. Hey, happy Thanksgiving, guys. I'm actually down here in uh, Portsmouth, Ohio, right on the river, so about five miles from Kentucky, and it's— uh, surprisingly nice i think it's probably 55 60 degrees which you'll take any day of the week this late november how many of your teammates wore sleeves oh 
if you're playing offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, um, sleeves were never an option. I mean, you, it would have to be below 10 degrees to even consider it. But a lot of times uh, I learned this trick. I'd watch Joey Porter do it. And some of the guys start talking about it where you know, you'd Vaseline up, grease the arms up, and that helped keep you warm a little bit. But I mean, as much of mentality as anything, when you watch, when you walk out there and you see dudes that aren't wearing sleeves, you're like, all right, they must know something that I don't. They're probably a little tougher than I am. So maybe I need to take mine off. Bobby Carpenter, our guest, uh, Michigan, Ohio State this Saturday. Um, are the are the emotions, the feelings the same every year for this for you? They are. And I think this year they're probably a little bit even more intense if you think about it. Uh, you know, it had been a number of years since Michigan had won that game. It had been going back about 10. They didn't have it in 2020. And so for any great rivalry, I mean, there has to be some give and take. There has to be some push-pull. And so, you know, not thankfully, but I think Michigan, you know, last year winning that game, the manner in which they won it uh, was very big. And then also uh, you look at what they said afterwards and they got a little chesty and Jim Harbaugh making the third base comment, you know, Ryan uh, Day board on third base, you know, thinking he's, he's hit a triple there and talking about out-culturing him and all these different things. And so that's something that, you know, when you win, you know, Mike Gray, you know, his thing is like, when you lose, say little, when you win, say less. And I don't know if that was really adhered to. And so, you know, 365 days ago, people put that in the bank. And I don't know how much it comes into play on game day. But that's something in the winter workouts. That's something in spring ball throughout the summer, each and every day in practice. The week of the game, when you're tired and maybe you want to go to bed or maybe you don't feel like getting that, that little extra treatment or whatever it might be, you make sure that you spend as much time as possible. Don't waste a minute this week preparing for a big rivalry game. So over the last 365, have you seen Ohio State improve in the trenches to match Michigan's physical tone and strengths up front? Because that's how they, they won this game last year over Ohio State. Yeah, it, it is. That is ultimately how they won the game, and they were able to pound them to the tune of almost 300 yards. Um, and in doing so, I mean, it, was, it was very, very impressive what Michigan was able to do. And so, you know, I look at this with Ohio State. Um, they made a concerted effort. Number one on the defensive side of the ball, bringing in Jim Knowles. They had to get better over there to be able to get stops. And, you know, a lot of it is, too, the guys are a year older. They're a year more physically developed. They're more mature. They're better football players now. So um, that's a big piece, individual growth. Jim Knowles with the scheme. I think the front seven is a lot tougher and more physical. So that obviously is going to help. And then on the offensive side, you know, they wanted to make sure that they went out there and if it's third down one, fourth and one to be able to go get the, go get it and understand that you, you can throw it, but you know what? There's a mentality to running the football and it's really the only way to salt the game away. So Ryan has done a great job this year of continuing to lean into that. You know, sometimes it may even be to the detriment of, you know, scoring in a game, but just showing guys that we have to get better here. We have to continue to work on it. And so they've improved on the offensive side of the ball, and they've done a lot of those competitive situations one-on-one uh, just to make sure that everybody knows, like, we're going to be a tough football team. We can throw it for 400 yards every game, but we still need to be a tough team that can line up and go get it in third and fourth and one. Brett Bielema was not happy uh, after the loss to, to Michigan. He had comments at halftime about the officiating and playing against 12 guys, and then after the game had other comments I see that, Bobby, and I think, well, this is a year where Ohio State and Michigan, I believe, are just clearly better than the rest of the conference. There's no vast conspiracy or anything, but you're an Ohio State guy. How often is that talked about with other programs? I mean, it feels like when Brett Bielema is saying that, like this is something that's pretty common amongst coaches across the conference. 
where they, it, they, they feel like, well, it's Ohio State and Michigan, and they've got to protect that, and they protect them at, at all costs. Do you get that sense in talking to people around the conference that that's a commonly held idea? Well, number one, I, I do think that there were some calls and then feeling, but gosh, I, I watched the whole first half of that thing. And even at halftime, he's like, I'm not against fouls. I'm just against phantom ones. So we can make sure that those are gone. I mean, he, and he had a beef. If you go watch him, I mean, there, there's some calls there. And there've been calls over the last couple of weeks where they lost, where it was kind of surprising. And as I was sitting there watching that game, uh, you know, we had did my family Thanksgiving on my side last week. And uh, my sister-in-law was in town. Her dad used to coach at Michigan State. And, and he always referenced the fact that Jim Delaney said this conference is better when Ohio State and Michigan are really good. And so whole, hanging on to that understanding that, you know what, like that's a real feel. And most conferences are better. The Pac-12 is better when USC is good. The Big 12 is better when Oklahoma and Texas are good. But you would like to think that that wouldn't influence officiating. I, I don't believe that it does. That conspiracy is kind of always out there. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, in that game, Bielema really did have a legitimate beef. I, I was hoping Michigan would win because I wanted to see this be a top five undefeated matchup. But there were some calls that leave you scratching your head that probably, I don't know if it would have completely changed the outcome, but you never know unless that call is actually made. Bobby Carpenter, our guest on Outkick 360. Um, looking at the rivalry matchups outside of Ohio State and Michigan in this week, um, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. I'll let Chad tell you what he's about to do on the the money line of this game. But Lane Kiffin, is this his last matchup against Mississippi State as the Ole, Ole Miss head coach? And if so, what do you think that locker room's like behind the scenes? He, you know, it'll be tough if it is. He's done such a great job there in Oxford. Um, he's come out strong. I mean, some of the stuff he's put on social media, gosh, I love Lane Kiffin. I mean, yeah. when there's reporters chatting and, you know, sniping at him, he's sniping back about them leaving their jobs and just getting full petty with it. It's, it's absolutely uh, phenomenal to see. Um, I would say this, I, I think ultimately that, you know, Ole Miss is in a better place right now than Auburn. Now, does that not mean that Auburn could be better in three years than Ole Miss? I think it has definitely the potential to be, uh, but Auburn, to me, it's a little bit, looking at this, the more I've thought about this, like Auburn is the really, really good-looking girl. It's probably about a nine, but you feel like once you start dating her, you find out that there's a whole bag of crazy that you got to deal with, and there's all kinds of things. She's got a crazy ex-boyfriend, a stab in your tires, all kinds of crazy little idiosyncratic stuff that's just a mess. And so it's like, well, it looks really appealing. I mean, is it someplace that you really think you can survive long-term? And maybe Lane can. Um, if assuming he wants to go there, you know, he's done a great job. I think he's, you know, you look at early in his career where he bounced a lot. He's built programs the last two stops he's been. And to his credit, I think he's really evolved as a football coach. Uh, it'll be, I'll miss seeing him and Mike Leach if they're not battling in the egg bowl. I think that that's great commentary going back and forth. And I, I personally hope he doesn't take the job, but, you know, I mean, they're going to probably throw you know, a ton of cash at him and we'll ultimately see kind of how that looks. Let's stay in the SEC. Uh, South Carolina was dominant against Tennessee. Tennessee didn't help anything, but I'm watching that game, Bobby, and I'm thinking, I don't know if anybody's beaten South Carolina if they play like that, and Spencer Rattler hits every single throw on the money, deep down the field, wherever it may be. Uh, that was a buzzsaw-type game, and Tennessee got whipped. And then I see they're playing Clemson as a 14-and-a-half-point underdog, and from what I've seen from Clemson, if South Carolina figured anything out and can play remotely close to that, 
on Saturday, they might have a chance to, to upset Clemson in this game. What do you think about that matchup and that big point spread? I know a lot of it has to do with the fact that it is at Clemson this year. Well, I think and you look at South Carolina beat Tennessee at home. I mean, when Tennessee struggled, it's been on the road. I mean, college football, people always underestimate how, talent, or how tough it is to go into those hostile environments and win because you have one or two things break against you early on. And I mean, you're, you're fighting 80 to 100,000 fans plus you know, the other team and the, other, the opposition that's on the field. Um, you know, South Carolina, I mean, they're 10 foot tall and bulletproof right now. They've got all the confidence that they need. And sunglasses guys, Shane Beamer's feeling good. I mean, they've got some nice wins. They started to string some things together. And if you look at it, where, uh, where Clemson struggles a little bit, you know, in the secondary on defense, I mean, South Carolina has the ability to take, take advantage of that if, and this is a huge if, you mentioned Spencer Rattler. He was hitting everything. We saw him do that some at Oklahoma. The issue for Spencer Rattler is never the ceiling. I mean, we know what that is. I mean, to quote Michael Jordan, the ceiling is the roof. But, I mean, the reality is like his floor and his inconsistencies are what has been the issue for him. So if he's able to put in a performance that's 80% of that, I think they more than cover that number. And I think they ultimately win the game. It's just, will he avoid some of the bad plays? Can he hit those guys when they're open down the field? I know USC people are angry today that they're ranked behind LSU in the college football playoff ranking. I don't blame them, but they also have to go out and take care of business, and it doesn't get any easier for them. They host Notre Dame on Saturday night. A very up-and-down season at times for Notre Dame this year, Bobby. What do you think about the the chance that the Irish can go to L.A. and, and knock off USC and knock them out of the playoff picture? You know, it'll be interesting if Notre Dame has enough offense to be able to get it done. I think they're going to try to utilize uh, the same game plan they did against Clemson, the same thing they did against, you know, Ohio State, where they're going to try to take, take the air out of the football. They're going to try to get out there, run it a lot. And Marcus Freeman talked about against Clemson. They ran duo 25 times, which is basically double teams all up front. You give the ball to the back, knock them off the line of scrimmage, and try to see if you can go get four to five yards each and every time. So uh, I think that'll be the game plan. They're good on defense. Can they slow down Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison enough? Like, that'll be the big question. Can they get some turnovers? Can they get a little luck? That's what they had against Clemson early on to kind of get that momentum going. Uh, there'll be a lot of Notre Dame uh, fans out there in L.A. You know, USC, they may ultimately have had, have the toughest three games in succession of any team in college football to, to round out the season. So if they win these three, you know, especially if it's you know, Oregon and they're playing well you know, at the end of the season here, and that's who they play in the Big Twelve or in the Pac-12 championship. They probably deserve to get in, uh, but it'll, they've got to get past Notre Dame first, and then they've got to get past an Oregon team that's been playing pretty good football, especially if Bo Nix can kind of get healthy over the next couple of weeks. Bobby Carpenter, our guest. Bobby, when you watch uh, TCU, how good are they? Are they Cincinnati of last year? Like Cincinnati was good. Are are they getting will, are they getting boat raced in the playoff, or is this a team worthy of going in and potentially pulling an upset? I think they're good. I just think that their margin for error is small. A little bit, maybe not quite like Cincinnati. They probably have greater depth of talent. But you know, look at Cincinnati, some of the guys they had are playing really good football in the yes. NFL. I just don't think that they have. TCU, I think, probably has a greater depth of that. But do they have what Georgia has, what Ohio State has, probably what USC has? I, I don't know if they're quite on that level. And so they'll have to play a pretty darn flawless game. And the problem is in the playoffs now to win it, it's not just playing one in the BCS championship. You've got to try to replicate that now twice in 10 or 11 days. So I don't know that they would get boat race. I think there's that potential. 
But I also think that there's a potential for them to get, you know, win that first, then potentially lose the second. So Lance Leipold signs the contract extension. Matt Rule set reports are out that he has turned down or stopped talking with Nebraska about their opening. Uh, we're starting to tick down the list of potential Nebraska coaches. We had Cole Kublik on from the SEC Network earlier this week, Bobby, and he hinted that Luke Fickle may be in play at Nebraska to leave Cincinnati. Um, what do you think about that Nebraska opening? And I've just always felt like everything I read and people I talk to that Luke Fickle is either leaving for Ohio State or the NFL, and that's about it. Has that possibly changed at all? It's the Big Ten, so I think there's some familiarity there. But he also turned down going to Michigan State. Like, I mean, Luke's family's from Ohio. His wife is from there. They love it there. His kids are the sons on the team at Cincinnati. He's got twins that are in high school and middle school, twin boys, two sets of them. I mean, you know, his daughter's a really good volleyball player. I mean, family matters a lot. He's making $2 million. And I, I would have to ask you the question, where do you think it'll be easier to win with what he's built at Cincinnati entering a Big 12 that'll be void of Oklahoma and Texas? or going into the Big Ten West, and especially if they eliminate divisions, I mean, you've got to start, you've got a lot of resources, but you're starting from ground zero. And so it's a little bit like the situation with Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Yeah, is there a higher ceiling there? Sure, but you also make sure, you have to try to build that foundation over the next couple of years, and there's no guarantee that that's ultimately going to work out. I mean, Luke Fickle essentially turned down USC, I think if he would have been thoroughly interested in Notre Dame, that job was his. He turned down Michigan State you know, a year before. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I would say all three of those jobs are better than Nebraska. So I don't know what would have him wanting to take that job right now when they've just made a huge commitment to him and their program at Cincinnati. What do you think about Bill O'Brien for Nebraska coming back to be a head coach in college after what he accomplished at, at Penn State as a collegiate head coach? I think that he could do it. The question is, does he want to recruit? And Nebraska is a tough place to recruit to. I mean, there's not an airport there. It's a, it's a drive and a fly. They've got great facilities. They'll spend money. They, they fill up the stadium, which now, I mean, that's, that's a big deal to get stadiums full. I mean, outside of, you know, a handful of places, the Big Ten and, and the Big Ten and the SEC, like not a lot of places fill up 75 plus anymore. It, it's barren. So they've got the ability to do that. It's can you get those players there? Can you recruit them? Because I know this, it's really tough to be a winning program, even if you're a great coach and you have average players. And I don't know how much Bill O'Brien actually wants to recruit. If he does, he gets a good staff and guys get out there and they can be strong in the NIL space, which I believe they can. I think he can win there. Now, to what degree? That's the question. Are they Tom Osborne in the 90s? Probably not there. But I think you could see a Nebraska with what Bo Pelini did, which should be aspirational right now because they were relevant every year and they were winning nine and ten games. Where will you be Saturday for the game? I'm going to be at the game. I'm, uh, I've been there every year that they've had it since I got done playing. Um, and uh, it's pretty special. One of the things they do at Ohio State, it's called the Tunnel of Pride for Michigan. All former players are down. You run through it um, for the Michigan game. So pretty excited to go. My my wife, I can't convince her to go. She's an alum. Uh, but my this is the first time I'm bringing kids to the Michigan game. Awesome. I remember my three oldest. Well, it's an expensive ticket. And I'm like, this isn't, guys, go hang out till halftime. You complain about getting snacks and everything, and then we go home. This is a full day's work. You know, these tickets, they're very valuable. I mean, I had bought seasons, but I'm like, I'll give them to someone who actually cares. So 
my oldest two are in middle school and my uh, third, he's a third grader and played football this year. And I think they're old enough and understand it enough that they've been begging and asking to go. They love the tailgates. They love the scene. AJ's going to be down there with his kids. So it should be a pretty good event. And uh, the weather should be pretty nice. It's looking like 45 to 50 with limited um, limited rain and maybe no rain and, and some sun. So, I mean, that sounds like a pretty darn good day to watch some football to me. I love your mentality with your with yeah. your kids, though, Bobby, because it is you are spot on. When it's a game like that, this is a punch the time clock kind of day. <laughs> this is not just out relaxing, throwing football in the concourse or you know, going out behind the bleachers at the high school game and playing with the little footballs the cheerleaders throw out. You are going to sit in that seat, and we are going to watch, and we are going to be into every snap of this football game when it's Ohio State-Michigan. I applaud you, sir. That's, yes. that's great well parenting. Well, great parenting by you. Listen, I mean, you got to earn it. I'm like, guys, this isn't your right. Just because we get the tickets, we can go down and do pregame on the sideline, all this stuff, like, that's great. For Indiana and Toledo and all the – like, that's fine. But guys, man, there are a lot of people – but if I said, hey, I need you to come over and clean my house and I got a pair of tickets for you or just one with where they're seated, they would take that in a heartbeat. So just understand what it is. So it's important to not raise entitled kids. Drink, uh, Drinkowitz was talking about that. I mean, you want to make sure that there's a sense of responsibility for what you're getting. So I'm trying, guys, to raise the next generation so that I don't have to be a dad just shaking my head when I'm 70 years old because my kids are all screw ups. Eddie George is going to be there as well with his kids. So you'll be able to say nice. hello to him too. Yeah, he's coming in studio later, but he would say the same thing. We're going on this family trip, and it's uh, we're it's not a theme park. It's a business trip. Yeah, business. it's a business trip. <laughs> That's right. and hey, we're going to work. Get your and mind you're, right. You're going to help sit there with me and work, and we're going to give our all uh, for Ohio State on that day. You're doing the Lord's work, Bobby. This is what the next generation I'm, needs. I'm trying, and when you give, when you talk to Eddie. You see him today. Ask him about the uh, the 05 Michigan game up there in Ann Arbor, taking that shot of Crown in the locker room. So I'm pretty certain that he'll remember that. Yeah, and he's got uh, some other memories as well of Tim Bianca Patuka. um, (laughs) Timmy B. Yeah, outrushing him, I think, and what the Michigan fans remembered 10 years later. I think that's the same year, by the way. 2005 was when the fans reminded him about the matchup, and he's got a great backstory there, too. We, We will ask him. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, Bob. We appreciate you, man. And happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Enjoy it, and hopefully get a nice weekend of football. And some yes. of these matchups turn out to be pretty good. There he is, Bobby, Thanks, Bobby. Carpenter. Catch him on SiriusXM, and of course with us weekly here on the show. That is going to be a, quite the atmosphere with all the former players. It going. always this is. This is the first time in ten years Eddie's gone to the game. It's um, you know, two thousand six was number one versus number two undefeated. That that is the on record, the most watched regular season game in the history of college football. Troy Smith. and Yeah, which was, I think, around 21 or 22 million people watched that game in 2006. 2016 was next in the series in okay. terms of most eyeballs on it. This will be the most watched game in the college football season. I'm very confident in saying that. It will pass Tennessee, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama this year as the most watched. The, the question is... I want to say those games got up to around 14 million, 13, 14 million. How much does it approach the 22 yeah. million? I don't think so uh, because it's just a different time. And this is two versus three, not one versus two that you had that year. But there's going to be all of the sporting public in America, most of it will be watching that game on Saturday. And you don't have the World Cup with the U.S. playing England to compete with. That's the day yeah. before, which will have even more viewers than Ohio State, Michigan. Coming up, we will 
complain. Tomorrow we give thanks. Today is our day to air our top grievance of the week. Primary complaint next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Armando Salguero joins us in 10 minutes. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Glad you're with us. Chad, tomorrow we uh, will be very thankful for our family and all our food. Our, we, we'll feast. That's we what will. we'll do. We'll feast. Yes. I, um, I don't but, even know if this is uh, even you know, politically or morally correct anymore, but I love going back and watching the Cosby show, Thanksgiving, uh, the edition where oh. Cliff goes out into the rain and wind over and over. Uh, it's one of my favorite 30 minutes of television in How history. How dare you mention the Cosby show. And I still go back and watch it, even with all the issues with uh, Bill Cosby <laughs> um, incarcerated, but I'll still watch the show. I still want to watch House of Cards. That's another good one. That's <laughs> Hey. Look, if you put nope. good entertainment no in the Thanksgiving world, episode there, though. I can't help what happens to the stars of these programs <laughs> yes. after the show goes off air. I'm still going to, going to enjoy and celebrate those great quality programs. We celebrate tomorrow. Today we complain. It's time for Primary Complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for a primary complaint on Outkick 360. My primary, excuse me, my primary complaint, my voice, that's number one. Uh, no secondary complaints, though. Primary complaint this week, Black Friday deals that took place last week. When we all know that you're in on it and the deals this coming Friday will be different than the ones you were putting out there on a random Tuesday, calling it a pre-Black Friday sale. Get out of here with that. That's my primary complaint. My primary complaint this week, those that don't understand the rules of the road apply to the sidewalk, the walking path, the running trail, whatever it may be. And here are those rules when it comes to that. It's very simple. We live in America. In America, we drive on the right side of the road. Same goes when you're walking on the sidewalk, when you're running. There's a running, walking trail in my neighborhood. I frequent throughout the week. And there are times where people just look utterly confused when you encounter them and they've got AirPods in, they're listening to something and they see you. It's very, just break right. If you're coming up on someone, stay on the right side. If the other person acknowledges this rule and stays on the right, you won't have the awkward face-to-face -face meeting where one of you breaks left and you run into each other. Break right. If you're about to run into someone, go right. When you're walking on the sidewalk or a walking path, go right. It's that simple. And my primary complaint are those in America, these are the American rules, not the European, that will not acknowledge these very simple rules. That is my primary complaint. Good one, Chad. Let's uh, head over <clears throat> with uh, Davey Hudson, our producer, who may co-host with you the rest of the way. <laughs> well, guys, I don't know why people keep telling me that I need to care about the World Cup. If you want me to care, don't have it during football season. The fun football, that is. <laughs> guys, we're talking about FIFA. This entire tournament is likely rigged anyway. 
And <laughs> no doubt. Get it. I mean, you can talk about the sports entities in North America that have their issues, but they didn't kill 6,500 people to make sure that their game takes place. And if you come back, well, it only happens once a year. And I mean, it's, it's the biggest sporting event in the world. I'm an American. I don't care what the rest of the world thinks. To put that in perspective, there are 195 countries in the world today. We're the only developed one that still uses the imperial system. Screw the metric system. All right. Shout out Liberia, Myanmar. <laughs> they can come along. But hey, but yeah, I'm going to watch us play England on Friday. Yes. I hope we win. But win, lose or draw, we beat them the only time it matters. And that is my <laughs> primary complaint. I think we also beat them again in the War of 1812, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So twice, two big wins over England. Will there be a third on uh, on Friday? Now is the only uh, uh, the only question that's left out there. Every time I see the World Cup, though, I think seven and a half billion. That's what they made off ad revenue. To sum up uh, Davy's complaint, what he's saying is America first. <laughs> yes, no doubt. America first in all things. Tart. It's it's tough to tough to disagree with that. Just wish we were uh, hosting the World Cup. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm always jealous bitter. watching the World Cup of countries who are legitimately into it. Like, I'm sure that if I watch a college football game and atmosphere and I'm in Portugal and I watch, I'm thinking, man, that looks like fun. If you're watching people storm the field and tailgating the atmosphere around it, I get that sense of FOMO, not watching American soccer, but watching the other countries that major in soccer. Because I think from a fan experience, that would be fun to be a part of. It's so bad It's not going to get me rushing to my television set to watch every match in the World Cup, but I do like the the fun atmosphere around it with other countries. Coming up, NFL headlines, Armando Salguero next on Outkick 360.